0: I want to teach on the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to, Pastor Adam, but God won't let me get to the Holy Spirit yet because I didn't notice how often in this passage of John chapter 14 that it's talking about the Holy Spirit, but, but it, Jesus keeps talking about the Father. He keeps talking about the Father 26 times in this passage. He's talking about the Father, and I'm reminded that the Spirit is always pointing to the Son, and the Son is always pointing to the Spirit. And so if you want to understand the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit in a lot of churches, I'm just going to tell you the way it is, the Holy Spirit in a lot of churches is either ignored or overemphasized. You say, how can you overemphasize the Holy Spirit? You overemphasize the Holy Spirit when you when you emphasize the manifestations of the the spirit and don't let the manifestations point you to the son and the son point you to the father and the father point you to the purpose so the purpose of the holy spirit is not just that we have better altar calls and better services and I preach better and the worship's better like I hope that happens too but that's not the purpose of the holy spirit the purpose of the holy spirit is so that we can step out into a world where there are a lot of unbelievers and we can share Jesus with them that's the purpose of the holy spirit so that's what we want is a good balance a good balance of the father son and the holy spirit so to understand the spirit we have to understand the father and we have i believe a crisis a, fa- a fatherhood crisis in this nation so i want to read this one verse in acts uh excuse me in john chapter 14 in john chapter 14 we're going to walk through this verse by verse and philip said in verse 8 philip said philip said lord show us the father and we will be satisfied that word satisfied means enough or it means content and i wonder if we have a generation that is so discontent because like philip philip is expressing the cry of a generation show us show us the father Show us the father. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why we're experiencing this uh, fa- crisis of fatherhood in America, that in 1969., 9.1 percent of children lived in single-family homes, but last year, in 2020, 18.3 million, or one out of every four children. of our nation is growing up in a home without a father. You say, Pastor, does it matter? It matters. Statistically, it matters. Spiritually, it matters, of course. But statistically, it matters. Children who grew up without a dad are four times at a greater risk of poverty. Seven times more likely to be pregnant as a teen. More likely to have behavioral problems. More likely to face abuse and neglect. Two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. Dads, don't underestimate your power in the home. Don't underestimate. You know, I was reading. You know, you know what the single like. I I, I mean, like, like there's a lot of emotions you can have as a dad, right? Uh, Joy would be one of them. Frustration would be another. Anger would be another. And then guilt would be like, come on, like, how many times you just feel like when I'm not with my kids, I feel like I should be with my kids. When I'm with my kids, I feel like I should be being more attentive with my kids. When I'm being attentive, I feel like I should read them scripture. And like, it's always like this guilt of like I'm never enough, But dads, do you know that, the, that one thing, like one thing, if fathers have dinner with their families one time a week, all of these statistics change drastically. Dads, you have more power than you think you do. Your words matter more than you think they matter. Malachi chapter 4 says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. And his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers... To their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. What we're seeing played out before our eyes in our nation is the curse of this fatherless generation. But the Bible said if the hearts of dads and kids and kids and dads are reconnected, then all of this can change. In that day, there's threefold. When you read a prophecy in the Old Testament, it has a threefold meaning, a threefold meaning. Number one, the prophet is talking about about something that is happening in that day, but then it is foreshadowing a future event. Oftentimes that is either the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ, so the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, the life of Christ, his death on the cross, or his resurrection. And then finally, there's an ultimate fulfillment that is in the second coming of Christ. We see that played out, in all, and we see all three layers of the prophetic played out in this one passage in Malachi. And so that he's talking about Elijah, Elijah was living in that day, in that time period. But we know that Elijah is a foreshadowing of John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. But Malachi is also a book about the end times. So what God is saying is in the end times, you will see a fatherhood crisis. But I believe that God is raising up a generation of fathers and spiritual fathers and connecting those hearts to the hearts of the children. So the enemy knows. The enemy knows that if he can take out fathers, he can take out a generation. But if we restore the heart of the fathers, we can win a generation. Part of the end time work of the spirit will be raising up a generation of fathers. This is the age of the fathers. Philip says, show us the father and we will be satisfied. I believe that Philip's cry represents the cry of a generation. But this is what's really interesting to me. Let's follow let's follow this line of thinking. Put on put on your CSI hat. All right, everybody put on their CSI. I don't know which CSI was your favorite. There was 42 of them, I think. There was like CSI Las Vegas and New York and, and CSI Miami. That was my favorite. I know it was the cheesiest, but David Caruso with those sunglasses. He was just cool. And then there was like CSI China Grove and CSI Harrisburg. There was like all the CSI for everything. But we're, follow this reasoning, follow, the, follow this line of thinking. So was Philip, these are not trick questions. Philip says, Philip says, Philip, Philip says, show us the Father. Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Question number one, was Philip a follower of Jesus? The answer is yes. It's not a trick question. Was Philip Philip one of the 12 closest people to Jesus on this earth? Yes. Again, not a trick question. But did Philip know the Father? Philip didn't know the Father, and that's interesting to me, and I wonder, I wonder if like Philip, perhaps many Christians have been following Jesus for years, but have not allowed the Son to bring them into intimacy with the Father, and are therefore very confused how they could be a Christian, but are still experiencing such a lack of satisfaction in life. Pastor, I don't get it. I'm a Christian, and I come to church, but I'm not satisfied. Maybe I'm preaching to a Philip here that you've been following Jesus, but you haven't I'm telling you, there's more. There's more. The Spirit is drawing you not only into a relationship with the Son, but the Spirit is drawing you into intimacy with the Father. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't I allow the Spirit to develop, to to draw me into intimacy with the Father? It's because this fatherhood thing is so complicated. Like, I I read this book on uh, Darth Vader and Son. I, like it was this book of like Darth Vader raising Luke and taking him out to baseball games and eating ice cream. And, and it was a fun little comic book. But it's kind of like I read that and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I wonder if that represents our attitude and kind of like the, the dichotomy of the greatest longing of our like of uh, the greatest longing of our lives, of the greatest yearning in my life is I want to know my dad. And the greatest fear is I'm scared of what he's like. And so we live in this state of ever searching but never finding of ever wondering, but, but afraid of what we'll truly find. And, and I know that when I preach a message like this, I'm preaching to all kinds of people in the house, right? Like I'm preaching to people that had great dads, and I'm preaching to people that lost their dads, and I'm preaching to people that your dad's provided for you, but maybe not there emotionally. I'm preaching to people that you don't, you don't know your your birth father. I'm preaching to people who've been adopted into wonderful families. I'm pre- like, I know this whole spectrum, and, and, and that's not the point of all of this but just just understand that, that I believe that ultimately no matter what your relationship with your earthly father is like God is calling you into a greater relationship with your heavenly father so let me give you three guiding questions to lead you in because I believe the spirit is leading you into a greater intimacy with the father number one what if the father is more kind and loving than you think? What if the Father is more kind and loving than you think? Jesus says that anyone who has seen the Father, or excuse me, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So you say, what's my Father like? The Father is like the Son. I I, I run into people sometimes and their thought pattern, although they may not say it exactly like this, it's something like this. Pastor, I, I like Jesus. I mean, it's hard not to like Jesus, right? Like, it's hard not to, I mean, Jesus seems nice. He seems like he's always healing people and feeding people. Some of you grew up at VBS. We're all my VBS fans in the house. Like, you grew up, you found Jesus through red Kool-Aid and generic sandwich cr- cookies. That was me in Kennerdale Church of God along the Allegheny River in Pennsylvania. I mean, that was VBS. And like, felt-bored Jesus. Felt-bored Jesus was always smiling. I mean, real Jesus. Isn't if you read through scripture, the felt board Jesus was always smiling. He was always like holding a lamb. He was always loving. And you're like, man, I like, I like Jesus. But God, God's like calling down fire on entire cities and sending bears to mall teenagers. And like, like I like, Pastor, I'm in with, I'm in with Jesus. But I'm not so sure about the Father. But Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can I tell somebody? You don't have to be afraid. of of what your father's like anymore. What's your father like? The Bible tells us. First John says he's loving. Ephesians says he's kind. Psalm 103, he's compassionate. John 3, he's giving. Lamentations, he's faithful. In Ephesians chapter 2, he's merciful. In Psalm 24, he's strong. In 1 John 1, 9, he's forgiving. In Psalm 136, he's good. In Psalm 145, he's righteous. In Psalm 46, he's ever present. In Revelation chapter 24, He's the one who makes all things new. Don't be worried when the spirit is leading you closer to the father. The father is more loving than you ever have thought in your life. And then number two, what if the spirit, what if the spirit has been drawing you to the father all, all your life? Like what if, look at Philip, what was he doing? He was searching for fulfillment what if your search for fulfillment is actually a search for the father what if what if satisfaction in life is is yearning to be satisfied in the father so Jesus says Philip I don't get it I don't get it how can you say show us the father don't you believe that I'm in the father and the father's in me the words that I say to you I don't speak on my own authority rather it's the father living in me who's doing his work believe me Philip, if you got to believe me when I'm when I tell you I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence, at least believe on the evidence. I think what happens, and I don't want to oversimplify a complex problem, but because of time constraints, I want to walk through this quickly. So there, there are many people. Maybe, maybe you've met them that struggle. To serve a God because they say something like this, Doug, I don't understand how there could be a good and loving God and there'd be so much evil in the world, right? So I don't understand how you guys worship this good God and I was sexually abused. You You say God is loving and my dad left me. You say God is good and there are wars and rumors of wars and there's genocide and there's hatred and there's all of these things. And so but what Jesus says is follow the evidence follow the evidence but I wonder if we're following the wrong evidence see that's that's definitely evidence and so I'm not negating that the world is a bad place but I wonder if all of those evils and horrors of societies are actually evidence of two things that number one the devil's real and number two then that we have free choice right And so if the devil's real and mankind of Genesis is true and you believe those original accounts of creation, which is what we believe in this church, then you've got to believe that the devil being real coupled with man's free choice has led to people like Hitler. But I would say that that doesn't disprove the existence of a good God, just like Hitler didn't disprove the existence of the allies, right? You couldn't say like, well, Hitler's real, so, so Churchill uh, uh, must not have been real. That line of thinking, see how that ar- that argumentation doesn't line up. That evil, if evil exists, so that line of thinking says, if evil exists, then good could not exist. And that just doesn't seem to, to, to flow logically. Rather, Jesus says, follow the evidence, follow the evidence. So what is the evidence that there is a good God and the Father? It's what you do with evil. So what did, what would a good father do with evil? A bad father would ignore evil, but what did God do? So God's answer to evil is Jesus. It's the son. It's I'm not going to ignore evil. I'm going to step into it. And that Jesus was born as a virgin in full humanity, but full deity in Bethlehem. God's answer to evil was Jesus walked through every bit of pain and suffering and neglect and all of the burdens that we walk through on this earth. God's answer to evil was that a perfect man, a sinless man was crucified up on a cross and took thorns in his brow and 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 spikes in his wrists and in his feet and a sword in his side. God's answer to evil was that Jesus went down to death, hell, and the grave. And took the keys and won the victory. God's answer to evil was that he rose again on the third day. God's answer to evil now is a church empowered with the Holy Spirit. That steps into the world and combats evil in the name of Jesus. So that's the evidence that's the evidence let's lean in lean into the evidence and can i say somebody to somebody that's listening somebody that's watching that's struggling with these things keep leaning in follow the evidence Read read the Bible and follow the evidence and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you when you read because the Spirit will reveal the Son and the Son will reveal the Father. If you're looking for truth, I promise you that you will find it if you look in the right places. The third question is this, what if the Father is actually closer than you think? What if the father is actually closer than you think? So in verse 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Jesus was, Philip was saying, show me the father and I'll be satisfied. Jesus was saying, I've been here all along. I've been here all along. What if that's part of the father's answer to our prayer? God, I don't God, I don't understand. I'm not satisfied. All of these things are happening in my life. It feels chaotic. It feels like it feels like the devil's win, and it feels like. And Jesus is saying, "I've been here all along. I've been here all along." I love, I love that Jesus says Philip's name when he responds to this too. I, I love that he says D- uh, Jesus answered, "Don't you know me, Philip?" Like he didn't say, "Don't you know me, random disciple." or don't don't you know me like disciple number 9 I don't know if they had like in a day of 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 you standing in the line or on the phone with the DMV and, and, and you're, you're not like, you're not a name, you're more, you're a number, or you're more like when you walk into a store, you're a, bar, you're a barcode, or you're a customer ID, like, and all of these numbers, and all of these, I, lo- I love that God steps in, I love that the Father steps in through the Son, and says, Philip, Philip, there's something, there's something about a name, there's something about a name, and there's something about a name when that name comes from the Father. I heard a story this past week about an artist in Baltimore named Graham Allen. And so Baltimore, like most cities, has these areas that uh, they came to be known by a person that was later interviewing Graham Allen. Graham Allen was, a, was an artist as they just called them the nothings, the nothings. I, you, you've noticed them around every, every city has them. They're these spaces that are just neglected and abandoned. Um, in case it, our hometown crowd from our broadcast location in Concord, as you leave the church, the triangle lot by Food Lion that gets mowed once every five years, that is the nothings, all right? It's just, it's overgrown, and weeds, and Burger King cups, and like, it's just, you know, the, the, med- the medians down by the hospital where there are currently uh, 4,300,092 cigarette butts in that median, like just the nothings it's the places places that get ignored it's the places like i don't worry about like we'll put our money in the flowers in this area but these these areas they've been abandoned and they've been neglected and so grandma allen started walking around his city and he said he said why are these why are these places like this and the first thing that he did the first thing that he did he did is he began to research some of the history He began to research some of the history of these places. And he found found the original story of the abandoned lot. And so he said the original story of this abandoned lot was there was a home of a family in the 1800s that lived on this lot, or or there there was a doctor's office that was here like 120 years ago, or this was a historical place where something significant happened in the Civil War. And so what he did is he researched the history and he found the origin story. And once he found the origin story, the second thing he did is he began to give those places that were formerly nothings, he began to name them. He began to name them. He began to give them a name. And then as an artist, once he began to to find their story and to give them a name, he stepped in then and began to create beauty and give these places meaning and give them purpose. And he would design and put all of these colors in this area and bring attraction and bring beauty and bring purpose to places that had uh, previously been places of abandonment and places of desolation. As I, I read that story, I couldn't help but think about the work of the Father in our lives. That all of us, whether we've been serving Jesus for years, or maybe you are away from God, today all of us have areas of abandonment in our lives. There are places where weeds have grown up. There's places that we've been neglecting. There are places where, where the enemy may have tried to come in. There's places where, where we want to ignore them. We don't want to put them on display for others. And, and you know, you would think that the Father would stay away from those places in our lives, but he doesn't. You know what the Father does? The Father steps into the places of desolation in your life, and he begins to name them. He begins to name them. God is not afraid of your sin. God's not afraid of your hurt. He's not afraid of your abuse. He's not afraid of your abandonment. I know you're ashamed of how somebody abused you years ago, but God is not ashamed of that. He wants to step into that place. And do you know what he wants to do? He wants to find your origin story. What happened to you does not define you. Your origin story defines you and your origin story is you have a father in heaven that loves you, that's creating you and I see him today and he's stepping into those places. He's stepping into the places where somebody left you. He's stepping into that divorce. He's stepping into that abortion. He's stepping into the places where we feel guilt and where we feel shame. And he's stepping in and he says, I want to reclaim that territory. I want to reclaim that territory. I know it used to be ugly, but I'm about to make it beautiful. I know it used to be hurtful, but I'm about to bring joy. I know it used to be awful and ignored, but I'm about to step into that place in your life and name it. He's naming it for Jesus. He's naming it. He's reclaiming territory in your life. You know what the, the spirit is? The spirit is the artist of God. The Spirit is many things, but one of the things that the Spirit is, is the Spirit is the artist of God. And if you will invite the Holy Spirit into the broken places of your life, it will allow the presence of the Father to come into those places and begin to reclaim those. Come on, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if somebody has an area, a hurt, a pain, something that happened to them, a sin, a a, a time that you've walked away from God, and you just need to invite the Holy Spirit into that place today. Say, rename that area. Rename, rename that area. Reclaim that area. Holy Spirit, just invite him in. Just let the Father begin to, to rename you. Just let the Father begin to speak beauty. Let him take the artist of the Holy Spirit and speak life back into your brokenness, back into your pain, back into the very area of your life that would bring shame. You serve a God that, that names things. Name us, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would name, name this generation. Name us a generation of peace. A generation of righteousness, a generation of hope, a generation of beauty, a generation of empowerment, a generation of fire, a a John the Baptist generation that rises up and proclaims things in the name of Jesus, a generation of Paul that is raised up to impart things, A a a generation of Timothys that are not afraid to be spiritual sons. God wants somebody in this place to know that Timothy didn't have a dad either. One of the greatest writers of the New Testament. Timothy pastored Ephesus, argu- arguably one of the greatest early churches in the New Testament. Timothy grew up, and if he did, if he did have a dad, he was not spiritually involved in his life. But God brought a Paul. God brought a Paul into that place to step in as a spiritual father. And God's going to bring a spiritual father to you. He's going to, he wants to be that ultimate father. But he wants to step into that place where you have felt less than, where you have felt unsatisfied. He wants to step into that place and reclaim it and raise you up as a mighty warrior